Hello there, you're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And we'll also be talking about a lot of the movies that came out in July and in August. We will be talking about Jungle Cruise, The Suicide Squad, and The Green Knight. So we kind of have a slow week in news when we have one really big thing to talk about. And that Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney for loss of income on Black Widow because of its digital release on Disney+. Plus. This is a big step for actors and actors' unions and the representation of actors' incomes. Because, I mean, nobody sues Disney. Nobody sues Disney. At least not this publicly. Not this strongly like their their actors that are contracted will not sue them because they don't want to lose those contracts and Scarlett Johansson is pretty much done with Black Widow and so their her contract is kind of letting out and so she took this opportunity to say fuck you to the mouse himself and <laughs> suit them what are your thoughts on that Ryan so initially my thoughts were Scarlett Johansson you're really going through all this trouble just to get extra millions on top that, of the millions you already got. That was also got. my initial thought. But then I'm also thinking, well, it's Disney, and they have billions on top of billions that they already have. So, yeah, I'm down with us making sure that Disney overlords are not able to take over everything, and if this gives them pause in the future for screwing over their talent, screwing over actors by essentially breaking the contracts that they had made with them, then I'm all for it because what has come out since then is Scarlett Johansson's talking about, well, the contract is specifically for theatrical release because pre-COVID, obviously that's how it's going to be. And then when the pandemic did hit and there was the potential for it to go to the streaming service, uh, if you remember from the HBO Max, when they released their slate, like Wonder Woman 84 and then all those subsequent movies going to the streaming service, Warner Brothers did deals with some of the actors and some of the directors to give them money up front that they otherwise would have gotten as um, the additional revenue stream. What's it called when you get that? Like royalties, essentially, uh, from a cut of what it makes at the box office. Mm -hmm. So because those actors and directors were going to lose out on that, Warner Brothers decided to treat them right and say, look, we're going to put on HBO Max, but we'll give you enough money that it would have essentially covered the same same amount of course disney didn't do this for scarlett johansson when they sent black widow to the disney premiere access and apparently scarlett johansson had reached out to disney to do contract renegotiations and they ignored her so right. that is just also such a stupid thing it is very ruthless thing to do yeah, it's pretty surprising for a big studio to fuck over one of their biggest stars like that in such a in what turned out to be a very public decision. Like, you know that something like this has the potential of getting out, and you know the kind of PR you're going to get after something like this. And it just seems like a very very silly mistake to make. I'm like, who's the CEO of Disney? Bob Chapek. Yeah. Chapek. 
what a I don't think he made the decision himself, probably, but I mean he has oversight on all these things, and it's just kind of appalling that he because Bob Iger would never do something so ridiculously stupid, and I know Bob Iger is pissed, <sighs> even though he has nothing to do with Disney anymore. He's like, I can't believe they did that. He's just so shocked. I'm sure, so. yeah, he wants his legacy to stay intact because I mean a, he's the reason that Disney is now in the place where it is. I mean, just yeah. the absolute multimedia conglomerate beast mm-hmm. that it is and so for them to mishandle something in this way and as you said so publicly it really is foolish yeah really upsetting to see hope scarlett johansson wins that lawsuit we'll keep you updated as the case progresses hopefully she get the full 30 million that she was owed as potentially what black widow could have made at the box office for her percentage so we will Watch out for that. Now we have and our. We'll also before you get to that. They were also there were some rumors on the block that Emma Stone with Cruella, which also was on Disney Premier Access, mm-hmm. and then Emily Blunt, who in Jungle Cruise, which was also on Disney Premier Access, that they also may be considering bringing lawsuits to Disney. Ooh. So far, those haven't come about or been confirmed or anything like that. Um, I mean, this Scarlett Johansson lawsuit is actually filed. Like with mm. the state of California. So, I mean, that's a real deal. But there was also talks that these other actresses may come out and do the same sort of thing, which would really be a PR disaster for Disney if that happened. True. Um, it seems like behind the scenes, maybe they got to Emma Stone and Emily Blunt already and tried to calm them down and give them some other deals and other assurances. Mm. But we will give you updates as this case with Scarlett Johansson and Disney progresses. But it is really phenomenal news coming out of this black widow situation not something we expected way earlier on in the year Nah, i love reporting on progressing news stories as the weeks go by remember when we used to report on the journey smollett case last year (laughs) i was just thinking of that yeah this could be the next thing we'll learn something new each week it gets crazier and crazier i'm excited we haven't been able to report anything big recently anyway it's time for our box office breakdown in first place, with no surprise, is the Suicide Squad with $26.5 million. That is the biggest R-rated opening of the pandemic era. It made $72 million worldwide. But to compare, the original Suicide Squad opening, which was five years ago, made $133 million. Now, that is uh, devastatingly lower for me, who has picked the Suicide Squad as part of their, part of their box office draft, if you've been following that. Uh, I'm certainly upset by those numbers i wish it was a little bit higher i'm hoping the suicide squad has a bit more legs i'm sure it has to do with the delta variant coming out and people being a little more scared to go to theaters at this time and the fact that it's on hbo max i just really hope we can get those numbers up because those are rookie numbers i want (laughs) to i want to pump up pump up those numbers get it something maybe i want to end up around I, I just don't, I don't think it can happen, but around 400, 500 million worldwide at the end. But we'll we'll try if yeah, it has this, long enough legs. This was an exciting weekend at the box office because we had two of our films from our rosters going up essentially head-to-head. Uh, Jungle Cruise came out last weekend, and in this weekend it came in second with $15.6 million, which was a strong 55% drop. I mean, compared to things like F9 mm-hmm. and Black Widow, which had near 70% drops. Yeah, that's solid this, for pandemic era second week. Yeah, this was really solid. Um, and that brings its domestic total to $65 million, 
mm-hmm. and it has 121 million worldwide right now. And here's what's crazy. I was expecting Suicide Squad to blow Jungle Cruise out of the water. I was, if you remember, if you listen to my prediction uh, in our most recent episode, I had said 35 million uh, was optimistic for Jungle Cruise. It did end up getting 35 million, which I'm very thrilled about. But that was me just going above the expectations, which are around 25 million for Jungle Cruise. Mm-hmm. And I had thought Suicide Squad was going to get certainly more than 35 million for Jungle Cruise could potentially get 40 or 45 million, something like that, because the buzz around it, at least the critical reception and fan reception was that it was so good. So I was like, oh God, the word of mouth, it's James Gunn. This could potentially just run away with it and leave Jungle Cruise in the dust. But surprisingly, Jungle Cruise had a larger opening than the Suicide Squad. And again, I mean, that's crazy to me because I thought Jungle Cruise would be more going toe-to-toe with Ghostbusters Afterlife. Mm -hmm. Like I thought, based on the Disney uh, Premier Access thing and then the rising Delta variant, I was realizing that Jungle Cruise wasn't going to be the smash hit uh, that we had initially initially thought during our draft. But I still thought, okay, it's going to be on par and better than Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is what it needed to do. Uh, And then I thought something like Matrix 4 would be the comparison, the comp title for the Suicide Squad. But you were not looking in a good position where uh, Jungle Cruise is outdoing the Suicide Squad. Really upsetting. <laughs> really, really, really upsetting. I just, looking at the roster, looking at the dates, knowing that Suicide Squad was going to come out the week after Jungle Cruise, I thought you would get squashed. I thought the drop for you would be a lot bigger. I thought I would have taken some of that chunk from Jungle Cruise. It is certainly disappointing to see, and I think it is because now the Delta variant is starting, like, as opposed to the week before this week, the Delta variant is starting to come more into the news cycle and people are starting to become even more aware of it across the the nation and the globe. And it is also releasing on HBO Max for f- no additional cost as pr- opposed to premier access. So I feel like a lot more people are inclined to just stay home and watch it there instead of going to the theater. And I don't know, I just, <sighs> I'm really upset that it, it underperformed here. Because this was one that I was solid. I was pretty much solid picking this one. And I picked this one over Black Widow. And it doesn't, true. it doesn't look like it's going to outperform Black Widow, which is really upsetting here. Devastating. These were also our last two picks of the draft. Mm-hmm. Jungle Cruise was my final selection. And you were saying that you would have picked Jungle Cruise had I not. And then the Suicide Squad was your final selection, which you were teetering between Black Widow and this one. Yeah. So surprising to see how this turned out definitely underwhelming compared to what we were hoping for uh and as for some of the reasons why the suicide squad may have had such an underwhelming release it's also r-rated so Mm. that That is is definitely potential we know that in the pandemic era for whatever reason the family films such as something jungle cruise may be appealing to the family audience Mm. uh tend to do better um and i mean as you see here suicide squad has the biggest r-rated opening but it's still underneath things like Godzilla versus Kong from way earlier on, um, Space Jam, yeah, and of course now Jungle Cruise. So that is a potential reason, and it's mm-hmm. the fact that the name, the branding of it, Suicide Squad, 
people may be confused if this is a sequel or a reboot of the previous one. The previous one was bad, and a lot of people uh, have a stale taste in their mouth from it. Mm-hmm. So they could potentially be staying away from this because they just remember that one and like, oh, that wasn't good. Why would I go see this new one? So there's a lot of different reasons for why the box office could have been poor for the Suicide Squad. But mm-hmm. also on HBO Max, it's doing fairly well. I think it has the second highest uh, opening watch numbers. At least mm-hmm. that's what HBO Max is reporting. And then I'm sure we'll see Samba TV and Nielsen come out with their estimations of how many households watched it. But it does seem like it's doing very well on the actual streaming platform. Mm-hmm. But in terms of box office, which is what matters for our uh, draft, not not the best result. Yeah. In hindsight, picking an R- the R-rated Suicide Squad over the PG-13 Black Widow might not have been the best choice, knowing that just in general, R-rated movies do a lot worse at the box office just because you're limiting the amount of people that can go see it, that can give money to go see it. So in hindsight, I probably should have picked Black Widow, but it would have been devastating if three of my picks were MCU movies because I feel like that's weird. So I think I'm so glad <laughs> I picked The Suicide Squad. I think I can make it up with the two MCU movies I still have because I think Shang-Chi and Eternals will both outperform Black Widow and Black Widow's holding strong at like almost 360 million worldwide right now. Um, I think I can make it up. I think I'll do okay. I'm not too worried. F9 is doing good. So that was a solid like launch for me. Uh, I think I should be fine for now. The big problem for me is when the rest of your movies start coming out, when No Time to Die comes out, and when Venom comes out, and especially because Carnage looks really good, and when Spider Man comes out, that's gonna be a a big. Those those three are gonna be your big heavy hitters. Not that's what I'm saying. If I so there is the complication of this new Delta variant coming out mm-hmm. and. Specifically, we know that it's going to get worse in the winter time, which yeah. for Spider-Man would potentially be devastating. And also Matrix 4 also. Those are my two mm-hmm. tail end of 2021 films. Um, so that's a complication that has come up, which we did not expect to still be a factor in the fall of 2021. So, I mean, Shang-Chi, Venom, mm-hmm. uh, those films are releasing in September. That could be affected by this new wave, although maybe we'll have it hopefully more under control by then. And then some of the later films, I believe Ghostbusters is in November, as is Eternals. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then No Time to Die is in October. So, yeah, depending on how severe this variant thing gets, there may be another Corona shuffle. Hopefully not. Mm -hmm. Um, But, I mean, there has been some talks of Maybe that's something that the studios are going to look at, but I'm hoping that that won't happen. And I'm hoping that we do get this variant under control and that people just go get vaccinated. Just do it. There's no reason not to. I mean, good Lord. Yeah. Like we should have been done with this months ago. I'm so sick of having to still deal with this stuff. Um, And then it's also killing the movie industry, bro. It's not letting us have fun with our movie draft. So hopefully none of our movies do get pushed. We will, that'll be a crazy thing to try to figure out if one movie and one of the rosters get pushed and how we have to deal with that. Um, But looking ahead with that whole variant thing, notwithstanding, I, I feel really good about 
my positions and the mm-hmm. picks that I have. I think Spider-Man is going to overpower whichever MCU film comes out on top, which I don't know which one yet. I still, and as I have been in the draft, I still mm-hmm. think both of those MCU's uh, movies will underperform compared to things like Guardians 1 and Ant-Man, mm-hmm. those ones that are more of like the 500 mil to 700 mil range. Like I think those are going to fall in there um, and not go above. So I think Spider-Man will definitely overtake that. I think No Time to Die will get 800 mil, maybe up to a billion. I think Venom, if it's on par with its previous one, that one will overshadow. I think that one will be what's on par with F9. It just has to meet 659-ish million or go above that. And then I think Matrix 4, which, again, I thought that was going to be the one that would need to go toe-to-toe with the Suicide Squad, but now... If Matrix 4 just meets Ghostbusters Afterlife, which I think it can do, depending on the whole COVID situation. Remember, it is on HBO Max, whereas I believe Ghostbusters is exclusively theaters. Um, I still do think that the name brand of that um, and the interest, the intrigue that it'll it'll garner for itself will be greater than whatever nostalgia pool Ghostbusters is able to accomplish. And I think as long as that just surpasses... Um, Ghostbusters, and nothing crazy happens with the Spider-Man slot. Mm-hmm. I feel really good. I think I'm gonna come out ahead. Yeah, you think so? How are you feeling about your prospects? Looking I'm thinking I still into have a chance. I'm not. I'm only a little concerned. I want to still... pin you. I want to pin you down to a number for these Marvel movies because you've been. I mean, all those right, have been. Right. Those are your ten pole movies, essentially, for your box if office. If I draft. had to guess briefly at this time, I think Shang Chi will land around five hundred, and I think Eternals will land somewhere between six and seven hundred. Gotcha. I see. That is my prediction because I think both will overperform Black Widow, but I don't think they'll reach anything near like a billion. You're right. I think, again, I'm just hoping this COVID situation doesn't get worse, especially not in the winter. Because if Spider-Man does the numbers that it could do if this were pre-COVID, if it gets anywhere close to that, that's over 800 guaranteed and then should be over a billion, especially if it has the whole Spider-Verse thing and it brings back the old Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Like, that'd be such an event. It would get people to go out. So I'm hoping that that doesn't get affected too much. Because if that does perform with a billion or something, I mean, they're already essentially would double Shang-Chi. Mm. Uh, and then again, all that would need to happen is No Time to Die matches or surpasses Eternals, which hopefully it will do. I also think it needs to because isn't the budget for that No Time to Die like insane? Or something like so. the, the margin that they large. need for profit is like they need to get 700 million or something like that. Yeah. Which is nuts. But I don't all the previous films have been getting that. So it makes sense. But. Now with the whole pandemic era, I don't think they can handle yeah, it. Yeah, that's a little I scary. I think No Time to Die will land around three or four hundred million. No. Yeah. You think? Yeah, no. I really do. I don't know about that. That's how I'm feeling it's going to end up being. Because internationally, it's so big. As long as Europe is able to have somewhat of a rebound, because I think No Time to Die is really big there, mm. I think it should still be able to reach 700 mil, 800 mil, something like that. We Hopefully, because I mean, F9 again got 659 million. Yeah. And so hopefully if it, if we get to a good spot by October, then hopefully it'll be able to ride on that momentum. 
Yep. Now, let's get back to the box office breakdown real quick. In third place after Jungle Cruise was M. Night Shyamalan's Old, which made $4.1 million. That brings its total to $38 million domestic and $65 million worldwide on an $18 million budget. That's not half bad That's for not an, uh, an M. Night Shyamalan movie these days. And he oh, yeah. funds them all himself. So That's what I'm saying. It's so good for him because, I mean, he keeps getting a profit on them. So yeah. he's still chugging away. Uh, Black Widow. Had four million this past weekend. That now brings its domestic total to 174 million, which is the highest of the year. It just surpassed F9 to gain that title. And worldwide, it has 359 million. Remember, this is without China. Suicide Squad, Jungle Cruise, they have also not been released in China at this time. Stillwater with 2.8 million is in fifth place, which, I mean, who cares about that? <laughs> okay. After we were just talking earlier about Matt Damon on yeah. Dak Shepard's podcast. Let him live, man. I had a good hold, though. I mean, it was in, I think, fifth place last week, and now it's in fifth place again. I mean, but I guess. Had a solid hold. It beat out the Green Knight, which got $2.5 million this weekend. Which is kind of disappointing, I suppose. I mean, I, the A24 movies don't have a giant budget, but you expect them to do a little better than that. Yeah, uh, after Green Knight is Space Jam... Space Jam 2 with 2.4 million. Snake Eyes has 1.6 million. Escape Room 2 has 1.2 million. And F9, your the first film that has been released from one of our rosters, your pick, of course, has 171 million domestically and 661 million worldwide. Not bad. All right. And it's still got legs. It's still chugging away. It is. I think it's at its end here because yeah. it's about to fall out of the top 10 for sure mm. uh, domestically. And I think its overseas run is pretty much ended. But I mean, yeah, it was a good hold. I Like I was saying, I don't think it was going to hit 700 mil. It didn't, but it got a lot closer to 700 mil than I thought it was going to. I thought it was going to uh, stall out at 600 mil. Yep. Our box office predictions, of course, the Suicide Squad and Jungle Cruise are going to be the two to beat. Uh, Free Guy is a new movie coming out this weekend. That's a Ryan Reynolds flick. I think that'll have a pretty strong opening. I'm guessing around 15 million, which I think can beat the drop that Suicide Squad is going to hold. So yeah, I think Free I, Guy will be pretty high up. I think Free Guy will take the number one spot. I'm gonna say 20 million or something like that, just because mm-hmm. it's Ryan Reynolds. It seems like a fun property. It could yep. be one of those like somewhat surprises. So I'll go around 20 million for that one. Also coming out this weekend is Don't Breathe 2. The first film saw a $26 million domestic opening, which isn't half bad for a movie that is a, an original horror movie. Um, I'll put that one around $12 million just because it is COVID eras, and it is a sequel, and it, it doesn't look very great. <laughs> so I think it'll probably go Free Guy, Suicide Squad, don't breathe to Jungle Cruise. Stillwater might stay in fifth. I have no idea. Respect is going to be in there somewhere. Probably Respect and Stillwater and then the rest of the crew. And right. F9 will probably get knocked off along with a couple others. Right. Yeah, I think it'll be Free Guy around 20 mil. Don't breathe to around 12 mil. Suicide Squad may be able to hold on to double digits at 10 mil. Mm-hmm. But I think that'll be where it falls Jungle Cruise, I think, will come in fourth with around nine mil, and then Respect will come in with about eight mil, something like that. Yep, and that is our box office predictions for the upcoming weekend. 
as well as our box office breakdown for the previous weekend. Now we can get into our grab bag reviews from the month of July of the year 2021. <laughs> did you go into your little Green Knight impression there? <laughs> I did, a little bit. All right, well, so good. the Green Knight. First of all, did you remember reading this in high school? Sir Dwayne in the Green Knight? I remember yeah. the entire story, yeah. <laughs> I, I did remember. not remember. I don't... <laughs> The whole journey to get to him, I don't think all of that was in the story, was it? I remember it being a very short story. Like, the Green Knight shows up, he takes off the Green Knight's head, he goes to the Green Knight, he gets his head taken off. That's it. That's the end of the story. <laughs> like, that's all I remember it being. I don't remember there being a whole hour and a half, two hours worth of movie. Right. There. Yeah, I remembered reading it, but then I remembered nothing that was actually within it. Mm. So I was going into this movie trying to be like i wonder if i'll be able to recognize anything and absolutely not <laughs> not a single thing like the basic premise of it i do remember being a thing like he comes up and offers a challenge mm-hmm. but that was it like i remember nothing else and so i was trying to as watching the film i was like there's no way it was this weird right it could yeah, be I, this off the wall all i remember is the basic premise of the green knight shows up he cuts off the green knight's head goes to the green knight Green Knight cuts off his head. Like, that's all I remember about the story. And I remember really liking it. And this movie was a lot more off the walls than the story was. The story was very straightforward. Uh, don't bite off more than you can chew, I guess. Don't be overeager kind of lesson. This was very much like, let's create a big movie full of metaphors and symbolism and a lot of weird, crazy things and put that right in the middle. And that have that be the journey, which is not a bad idea. I enjoyed the ride, I guess, but it is not my favorite movie. Right. So say. David Lowry was the director for this. He did Pete's Dragon a couple years back. Mm-hmm. So quite a uh quite a turn. Quite a change. Yeah. yeah. Deb Patel as Gwen or Garwin in this movie for whatever reason. Well well, technically it's Gawin. But they're British, so it sounds like Garwin. They're saying Gawin. So if you look at it, it's G-A, that's the Ga, and then W-A-I-N is the win. They skip the A, I guess, so it's Gawin, but they're British, so it's Gawin. <laughs> Interesting. Why have uh, why did our teacher say Gwen then? Uh, I'm pretty you sure it's say- Gwen. Okay. That's how I remember being, and then they called him Gawin, and I was. it took me a real long second. <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is not right. That's what I was saying. Well, because you, when you first read it, you would say Gawain. But yeah. then the way we were told was Gwen, which I was like, hey, weird. But then, yeah, in this film, it was Gawain. And so I was like, what the heck is going on? This man has a thousand different pronunciations. Yeah. Um, but then, so, yeah, Tepetel is Gwen and Ralph Ineson. Ineson? Ineson? Yeah. Something. He also, also got a lot of pronunciations. A man of a thousand pronunciations. He was the Green Knight. Uh, and so a lot of interesting talent. Connected to this film, it's A24, so you know it's going to be a unique film. Not going to be your average cookie-cutter stuff. So for that reason, definitely it's a plus. And as you said, they were able to pad out what was a very straightforward and quick story um, with a lot of other elements. Certainly they were interesting. There was a lot of very gorgeous visuals throughout. The cinematography was on point. The costumes, set pieces, all that was fantastic. But... When you take the movie's story, it's just so strange. So much of it felt, and I don't want to go into 
territory of calling it pretentious or anything like that because I don't think it is because I think a lot of it is meaningful. The yeah. issue is I feel like on one watch, like seeing it only one time, it's very inaccessible. And a lot of it is something that you would need to take time to dissect and interpret mm -hmm. it through multiple viewings. So my initial viewing of it, and I've only seen it once so far, was just a lot of me being confused, being in awe of all the gorgeous things that are happening on screen, but then also wondering, what is it meaning? What is the point of this? Why are there giants? Why are they harmonizing with the fox? Why did the hag have the blindfold? Why did Joel Edgerton plant a kiss on Dev Patel? Mm -hmm. Very confused of a lot of these things. Uh, and so I'll be interested to, I want to see the like video breakdowns, the video essays that analyze this film, and maybe that'll help over time increase my estimation of this film, how I view it. But initially, a lot of that journey just felt like a lot of disparate, weird, cool ideas, but things that didn't necessarily serve mm -hmm. the character or the themes. Because um, like I didn't care much about Depatel's character throughout the whole uh, thing. I agree. I like, had a, no connection. There was a lot of the moments in the very beginning, I really thought, you know, I know nothing about these characters, nor do I really care about them. You, there needs to be more, less symbolism and more uh, heart in the story for me to be able to reach out and grab one of these characters and be invested in their story. I rewatched Midsommar today with Alexa, which is another A24 film that has a lot of kind of symbolism in it and a lot of beautiful imagery and everything. And the way they handle that, it's like, it is a mixture of interweaving the metaphors and the symbolism into the story, but also creating a story that has heart and like care in it where I can invest myself in Danny's story. And when I'm watching the Green Knight, it does feel a lot like they're trying to get me to think about a lot of things and trying to get me to identify all the symbolism and all the metaphors. But I, that's always kind of like secondary for me. Like I can't get to that point until I actually care about these characters. It's harder for me to watch a movie that is all symbolism and no heart. I will say I did learn to like Dev Patel's character to a point where I could start getting invested because it started getting better and better. And I think in hindsight, knowing how it ends and how it all sort of climaxes to that point, I think I do climaxes. Yeah, I think I, I think <laughs> I, 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 do. Saw, I winked at you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I will say I, I do like it more in hindsight than I did when I was sitting in the theater and watching it. And I think I would like it more the more times I watched it. But it's still it is a it is a big pill to swallow in terms of symbolism and all that stuff. I just wish they spent more time in the beginning getting me more invested in the story. Right. I agree. There needs to be that fundamental story, right, anchored by the characters that you can latch on to, and then the metaphors and symbolism enhances that, whereas in this film it was sort of being a substitute for that. And so that's why I think, like you, I was having trouble identifying with the actual characters and seeing them caring about them and then through them caring about the messages that the film was trying to convey because it did have things that it was saying um and i think the very ending of it put that into perspective this is one of those rare films where the ending i think was stronger than the rest of the film because mm -hmm. it was able to put a lot of that stuff 
into perspective and give you an idea of, okay, this is where it was going for a lot of this stuff. It gave you those ideas of, okay, this man is essentially pretending to be an honorable knight or he was chasing that idea of being like the well-respected knight without going through the actual work of being honorable. And then you see in that final uh, moment when he could do the honorable action and accept the consequences that he had laid out for himself um, by taking the Green Knight's head in the beginning of the film, he essentially runs away from that, weasels out of it. And then you see when he builds his life on a lie, um, everything will crash down around him. And so you saw that in that montage towards the end. And so I mm-hmm. like that bit. Um, I just wish the rest of the film had the same sort of purpose behind it. Yeah. it. And I'm sure there are things that connect, but again, I can't necessarily immediately point those out right now, even thinking back on it in hindsight, mm-hmm. I would need to watch it again and then maybe watch in another time after that to fully try and connect all these dots. Um, mm-hmm. And so again, that could be the purpose of the filmmakers is to be one of those films that need to be experienced multiple times to fully grasp it. Um, but for me, my initial reaction after watching it the first time is it was always interesting, but it wasn't always enjoyable. Um, so for the ranking, I'm giving it three out of five Christmas games. I think I'm going to give it three and a half. Three and a half? Yeah, I think I just enjoyed the last 40 minutes of it so much as soon as joel edgerton's character from that point onward i think i really really enjoyed it because i i think the heart of it started to grow the message sort of started to become clearer there was less uh metaphors it was like the metaphors were easier and like quicker to understand quicker for me to grasp and quicker for me to connect to the story than before and so i was able to understand the symbolism behind a lot of it a lot easier and I also just like the story more at that point. I feel like it's it's building. It felt more like it was building up to something rather than just a continuous journey. And the whole montage at the end, I think, is just phenomenal. It's just absolutely fantastic. And I love when he takes the sash and removes it from his stomach and his head falls off. I absolutely <laughs> love that. I think that was brilliant. And then just the absolute pinnacle of it all when it cuts back to him with the Green Knight. And he accepts his fate because he knows what future lies ahead of him if he doesn't. And the Green Knight applauds him and says, now off with your head. And then that's it. <laughs> right. I do love that a lot. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to change my ranking. I'm not really? going to change the score, but I'm going to change the scoring scheme. It's going to be three nut knights out of five. <laughs> that one was for Sean and Troy. <laughs> was on the movie with. That was the best part of the movie. I think. No nut knight. <laughs> I think my favorite uh, my favorite part is when the fox starts talking and he asks him about the sash. And he <laughs> says, it's just a dirty rag. And then the fox says, come. <laughs> what a wild movie, man. Yeah. What an experience. I think when we got out of the theater, because I watched it with Lillian, we got out and Lillian said, there's too much come in A24 movies. <laughs> <laughs> They need to dial it back on the cum. They're Did trying to the... bring representation for cum. <laughs> did you see the trailer for the new A24 movie, Lamb? I did. Wasn't that, didn't that play before that, the Green Knight? Yeah, that was a, 
that was a real experience for Lily and I just sitting there not understanding what was happening. It was like watching an, an A24 short. It was it was like a horror movie and then it was a campy family film and then it was a horror movie again and it was yeah. all about a lamb boy. I'm very excited for that film. I think, I think it'll be a good time. Let's hope it. that there's no come present in that film. I mean, it there looks has like to a be. man and the and one of the lambs gets well, I guess one of the yeah. That's goats. what it has to be. I could see there being quite a bit of cum in that movie. I hope not. <laughs> I think it'd be pretty bad. funny if there was. Um, but okay, so three nut nights out of five for me. Three point five nut nights out of five for Dylan. Can I be? Can I be three point five cum rags out of five? Go for it. Awesome. <laughs> three point five cum rags and three nut nights. All right, Jungle Cruise is the next film we'll talk about. I've seen it, Dylan. You did not see it. I did not. I did not have time this weekend to go give it a watch, which, I mean, I don't even think I will watch it at this point. I may, what? just because <laughs> I have Regal Unlimited so I can go for free. I might if I can find time this week, but you can go ahead and spoil it now because I don't care enough about knowing the ending so we can make this still spoiler film. Gotcha. Uh, I won't spoil it for your benefit, but because I do think you should watch it because there are some interesting surprises in there. Uh, so I won't spoil it and also keep it kind of brief, but the jungle cruise is, as you could probably tell from trailers and whatnot, it's this mashup of Indiana Jones and the mummy and pirates of the Caribbean. And for the most part, I mean, it can almost feel derivative because it's drawing on all of those things, but because it has the rock and Emily Blunt in the lead roles and they have such incredible chemistry between them, it you don't even care about the feeling that I've kind of seen like all this stuff before <laughs> you still are excited to see it. Cause now it's got the rock and Emily Blunt doing it. So the rock is a skipper essentially touring people down the Amazon and doing the whole thing that the jungle cruise operators do at the Disney parks. Um, that's a really fun, like his introduction is him just doing all those bad jokes you hear on every Disney ride. And that's hilarious. Um, and then Emily Blunt is this botanist slash archaeologist. Wow. Which is interesting. I don't know if she's like officially an archaeologist. A lot of feathers in her cap. I know, but definitely a, a botanist because she's searching for this ancient plant that has the power to heal all ailments or something like that. So that's how they get together is it's hidden deep within the Amazon and he's the only one that's going to be able to get her there. So they reluctantly team up because both of them are very headstrong. Um, but they do team up, and along with them comes Emily Blunt's brother. Stop doing <laughs> The way you said it. <laughs> comes, god dang it, uh, tagging along with Emily Blunt and The Rock is Jack Whitehall's character, who's the pompous, easily frightened uh, comedic relief character uh, and so he's really fun in that and then also jesse Plemons is in this movie playing a world war one german general and oh. so he gets to play up the campy vibes as the villain in this one and like i said it's an adventure movie that definitely sticks a landing in a lot of the ways and it does have some solid emotional beats to it specifically with i think jack whitehall's character and 
as I already said, the chemistry between The Rock and Emily Blunt's characters, I definitely felt. That's also probably because, obviously, I love The Rock already and love Emily Blunt already as well. Like, she's so good in everything she does. She is. So, they're really fun to watch on screen. And as I said, there's also some interesting surprises in there that I think help elevate the film as well. Uh, As just some nitpicks, they had some bad cinematography, I thought, in the very early parts of the film to the point where it's kind of distracting. And also the score at some points was also kind of distracting. Like it felt overbearing. Mm. Um, Like it was trying to be like the Pirates of the Caribbean theme, but it was paled so far in comparison. So it was trying to make up for that by being like more loud and more overt, but don't think it worked. And then the very, very ending of it, I felt like it was a cop out. You'll have to watch it and then you can talk with me, but Mm. I sort of hate these endings where they try to have their cake and eat it too. So overall, I thought it was a, a fun experience, a fun action adventure movie with likable stars so i'll give it for again what it's worth what it does uh, i think it succeeded for the most part so i will give it a 3.5 tears of the moon which i think is the plant that they're going for or 3.5 skipper jokes i do like the style of indiana jones and the mummy and parts of the caribbean like i love that kind of action adventure period piece style Mm-hmm. But I feel like watching the trailer, Jungle Cruise doesn't nail it quite right. Is that accurate to say? I think so. Yeah. Like, I feel it, it was moment. definitely trying to capture that. And in some parts, I feel that it does do it. But again, I think the main draw for this one is the fact that we're seeing The Rock and Emily Blunt doing these things mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the overall spectacle and adventure that those other films provide. I think those are significantly better. Uh, But again, this one is still interesting. You can still get invested into it um, because of who's leading the adventure. Okay. I think I might check it out just because I'm in the mood to watch something silly and fun. And I like the style of these kinds of movies and I hope it does a little bit better than I expect it to. And I don't know. I've got nothing else to do. I'll find time. I'll check it out. Now for our final movie to talk about, it didn't come out in July, came out last weekend. It is The Suicide Squad. This is a spoiler-filled talk, much like The Green Knight was. So if you have not seen The Suicide Squad yet, we know it came out recently. Please just skip this part. Go to the end if you want. Watch it. Come back. We're going to be talking about everything that happens. Now right away, very first thing that happens, we get to build out The Suicide Squad and then they all die. <laughs> this is it is exactly what I knew was going to happen going into it. I had a very strong feeling that this is what James Gunn would want to do, and he still stuck the landing. Even even having the feeling of like I feel like he's just going to take all these people and kill them off immediately, he still did it in such a great way. And the way to, to start that off is to kill off Weasel <laughs> by drowning him. It is the funniest thing to see. Oh, uh, we we all died laughing when weasel died from drowning it's so funny absolutely brilliant pete davidson shot in the face nathan fillion shot in the arms and then body javelin shot in the chest mongol burned to death 
a boomerang destroyed by a helicopter. Just watching them all eat it in such horrifying ways is very satisfying and very hilarious. So I think this to start it out that way in such an action-packed sequence was really strong. It was really fun. And definitely, like, the what is the tagline for the movie? Don't get too attached. It definitely gets me ready to think, okay, anybody could die. Like, I went into the rest of the movie knowing at any point any of these characters could die except maybe Harley Quinn. Like, I'm, I was like, I'm pretty sure Harley Quinn will make it to the end, but everybody else has the option of dying. And there were some surprising deaths in there. I was shocked by a couple of them. That's true. Yeah, so. I was not expecting that to happen in the very beginning, which, I don't know, it was late at night when I was watching it. So maybe I wasn't putting all the juices into thinking, okay, how is this going to go? And the fact that Boomerang and Harley Quinn were a part of that initial team, I thought, okay, I mean, there's, like, we'll see a few of them get picked off, but then they'll continue on and meet up with that other squad. I did not expect, especially Boomerang, getting destroyed by the helicopter, which is brutal. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting that at all. But I also think it was a very well-done opening. Because, of course, it lives up to the name Suicide Squad. It's getting you in that mindset of any of these people are able to be killed and any of them are expendable to Amanda Waller, Viola Davis's character, because we see her go ahead and blow up Michael Rooker's head. So that, I thought, was a very effective start to the film. And it was both really comedic, seeing something like Weasel get destroyed. It's so funny. And their talk on the plane, talking about, is this a dog? <laughs> what type of dog is he? Um, and then also very brutal and it lets you know up front. I mean, that R rating was baked in from the very beginning with the gore that they have in this film. I mean, mm -hmm. Pete Davidson's face gets blown yeah. off, just absolutely ripped apart. Hilarious. So, <laughs> so yeah, that's what he gets for what he did at UCF. Yeah. Yeah. That one coming. <laughs> um, so yeah, I thought it was a very effective start to it. Um, and I think, that's indicative of what works best about this film, which is for me that it has that right amount of self-aware silliness that mm -hmm. you would want from a comic book movie that has a bunch of D-list villains and puts them center stage. Um, so just to give a couple shout outs to some of the moments that I thought were the funniest or most compelling, the killing contests where they're trying to one up each other between Bloodsport and Peacemaker played by Idris Elba and John Cena, respectively. And then they find out at the end that they were the freedom fighters. It was their allies that they were this is brilliant. <laughs> killing. Such a good... Another thing that, like, maybe on another night, I would have seen that coming, but the fact that they didn't in this one, I was so taken back, and it was hilarious to see. Um, like, it's awful. It's definitely black comedy there, but the fact that they were... <laughs> And they got us invested in their killing contest and doing it in interesting ways. And we're like, yeah, I'm going to see even more brutal, even more crazy ways of gutting these people. And then you find at the end that those were just people that were supposed to be helping them. They were the, their allies. Oh, sick, twisted, but brilliant. Love that part. I feel like the part after that was a little bit phoned in where Soul Story is just kind of like, this is horrible. But it's okay. Yeah, I know. I feel like it was a Try bit to excuse it immediately. Yeah. Like I think the joke was great, but I think the follow through had a bit of problems. 
Right. Well, because part of it, and I'll touch on this in a later situation, but that's also that's like horrible. Like if that were in any other movie, I mean, that wouldn't mm-hmm. be played for laughs. That would be played for the dire consequences that would come from that. I mean, it's devastating to the Allied, to the Freedom Fighters. Uh, like, how do you come back from that? How do you start allying with the the people that just did that? And they had to, of course, because they played that for jokes, and then they needed to get on with the story. They needed to just have her be like, that's okay. We'll work with these people to get closer to the ultimate goal of taking out the Luna and the other generals. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll touch more on that a little bit later, but the joke itself was good. And yeah, and I can see how that follow-up was um, not as great. But another instance in this film that was both comedic but had also elements of great action in there uh, was Harley escaping before the team could come in and break her out. Um, that was really awesome. Margot Robbie, of course, is incredible and amazing. And I remember one of the best parts of Birds of Prey was the action sequence in, was it in like a jail cell or something like that where the sprinklers were coming down? It was the police was warehouse station. Or, yeah, police station, yeah. Um, that one was like one of the best parts of Birds of Prey. And then here, it's almost sort of reminiscent because the jail cells were getting used in the action mm-hmm. um, and she's taking down all these people. This fight sequence i also thought was one of the strongest points of this film like it was the action that invested me the most Mm -hmm. so that i thought was amazing and of course the ending where she makes it out sees the team running by trying to break in to get her and break her out um and then she's like oh i could go back in and you could you could get me out i could just pretend to be still locked up and Peacemaker's like, I've got a shot. I'm the only one in the office. And it's just the secretary. I know. <laughs> it's, so, <laughs> it's so funny. John Cena was great in this movie. He is. He, he's genuinely a good actor. And it's also funny that he plays, like thus far, he's only really played villains, mm-hmm. or at least in major starring roles, which is funny because in WWE, he only plays the face character, right? The hero character. Yeah. Which got him a lot of flack. Um because he would always be the good guy, Super Cena, as they call him. So it's always interesting to me to see him in these films where he's leaning more into that villain role that he never really was able to play in in WWE. Yeah, so. I think I'm really happy. I was really happy watching his performance because I, the last thing I saw was F9, which he was absolutely terrible in, which I don't think oh, is really? his fault. <laughs> I don't think it was his fault. I think it was the script's fault. And so to see him take on a role that is well-written he could actually perform it well. And like he gave some of the best lines in this movie. When, when Bloodsport says nobody likes to show off and he says, yeah, unless what they're showing off is dope as fuck. <laughs> That's hilarious. It's absolutely well done. For sure. Yeah. He's also a great comedian as well. Like people, yeah. again, because he's so associated with that WWE persona, they don't see how, like you listen to him in actual interviews, he's so intelligent and well spoken and eloquent. And then when he does comedic work like this, he's just a rock star at it. So hopefully this will lead to more things for him. Also, like a Peacemaker HBO Max series. Did you hear that got announced? So, I mean, mm-hmm. what with the post credit scene and all yeah. that? I mean, that's nuts. Mm-hmm. So they're definitely investing in uh this character and John Cena's portrayal of him. 
Yeah, I think he loves being Peacemaker. I think he absolutely adores the character, and he loves that he's a superhero. Because, you know, he was walking around L.A. dressed as Peacemaker. He was the only one at the premiere of the Suicide Squad dressed as his character. He absolutely loves it. For sure. I mean, yeah, he goes all out. Uh, Another thing that I thought was so funny was the Milton thing, where he's running up as they're storming Jotunheim, He's running up with them. And I was watching it with Sean Tormi, uh, who you may, listeners, you may remember from our In the Heights and Last of Us Part 2 episodes. Um, we were watching it, and Sean kept calling out. He's like, why is Milton still there? Why is he running with them? He's so out of his depth here. Why is he doing it? But we loved it. We loved that he was being a part of it because he was. I mean, he was that extra team member that didn't have any powers, didn't have any skills, but he was still there helping out fulfilling the mission and then my boy gets offed tragically and then harley <laughs> brings up who's milton when polka dot man is there mourning for him and then they have that whole discussion of who was milton was he with him the whole time like the care that they had that james gunn had to put that in to realize this would be hilarious if we just took this side character that i'm sort of using as a plot device and then just made him a part of the story and obviously it's played for banters but i mean it was legitimately amazing just to see he can take even the side character of the d-list group of characters and make him somewhat compelling and interesting so that whole thing was hilarious and later on the polka dot man i mean this was a running gag throughout but especially when uh he saw starro as his mom and Idris Elba leaning into the leader role he's like guess who that is that's your mom and then he starts flowing the the polka dots at him I was so sad when polka dot man died me too he was so we were all devastated as soon as he said I'm a superhero I kind of knew he was about to get squashed but I really wanted him to live to the end he was very very good that was the same thing that happened when he was cheering and he was like I'm a superhero Sean's like oh he's dead and sure enough, the starfish leg came down tragically, which I don't know. I mean, why'd they have to kill him? I know earlier in the movie, they were saying he like wants to die. He was depressed and all that. But he was happy right there, man. That's he the end been. of his arc. He, he couldn't continue anymore. Yeah, but now he's got a happy life. Now he sees the joy in life. He could continue living. Why'd they have to kill him off? Because it's, it's the suicide squad. suicide squad, bro. He, he found happiness and that's it. He's dead. He found it. He's dead. That's all it takes. I hope the rats instantly materialized in front of the Starro leg and then they made a blockade just above Polka Dot Man so that he could survive and then he slithered out and then just, I don't know, some way that he survives. No. No, we already have two characters coming back from the dead at the end of the movie. We don't need a third. I know, but it should have been Polka Dot Man. It should have been him. I think overall, I really like the practical effects that they were using as well as the CGI. I think they James Gunn did a really, really good job blending the two. I think there were a lot of shots that were really beautiful, like when the team is walking through the rain and when Harley Quinn is having her fight sequence and she has all the animation behind her. I think that's all done super well. I think it blends really well with the practical action that's happening. And I had a really fun time watching this movie. I had a really good time. I thought it was hilarious. I thought it was fun. I thought... 
it's just it's just a really well done superhero movie. I think it's my favorite DC movie that I've seen in a very very long time. And so props to DC for making a good one, uh, for doing something super original and giving a lot of creative control to a filmmaker. Maybe people will see that creative control is a good thing. Although if it doesn't perform better at the box office, maybe they won't. <laughs> Hopefully they will trust in the HBO Max numbers. Because I yeah. think like this is one of those movies that also sort of works best on HBO Max. Because mm-hmm. like for you and then for me also, like we watched it in a group as like a movie night. And that definitely elevated the experience of watching this as well. In mm-hmm. a way that if we were just in theaters and we couldn't talk or make jokes or like play along with the gags as it's happening... I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much as I did watching it at home on HBO Max. Mm-hmm. So hopefully they do realize that that could be another one of those potential draws for people watching it on HBO Max as opposed to in theaters. Um, I mean, it's a group movie. It's comedic. It's really enjoyable. That's something that plays really well when you're just chilling with a group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, having a good time watching it. So definitely uh, a solid film. Yeah. Do you want to talk about any of your favorite characters? Give your uh, give your top three. Top three characters. Number one, probably King Shark. <laughs> King Shark's up there. I thought he was great. Really funny. Sylvester Stallone is fantastic. The character design is really well done. and has some of the best, funniest moments. Where he says, bird. <laughs> I think that's really <laughs> good. That was really funny. Or he goes, nom, nom. I think it's all really well done. <laughs> Uh, number two, probably Ratcatcher 2. She was the heart of the film. Daniela Melchior did a really good job. Really, really good job. Uh, made me fall in love with rats. This is the first This is the first time since Ratatouille that I've really liked rats. You know? And so I say good for her. Good work. I'm really impressed. It was, it was definitely one of my favorite characters. Watching a performer, watching them create this character, have it be the heart of the movie when it was really... It could have been written as a side character and Harley Quinn could have been the main character again. And she really wasn't. It was Ratcatcher 2 that carried this movie, had that emotional through line along with Bloodsport, which I really liked. And character number three, I am between Polka Dot Man and Weasel. <laughs> I say it's a tie for, for spot number three because I think Polka Dot Man has some of the best lines. I think he's a really great emotional through line throughout i think he's really fun i like his character i like how lame he is in reality like he just shoots polka dots but i like what they did with that character at the same time weasel is just the funniest fucking thing in the (laughs) fucking planet it looks ridiculous it dies immediately it's so fucking funny um so those are my top three what are your top three characters so to address yours right off the bat Maybe a bit controversial, but the shark, King Shark, Nanawe, or whatever it was, mm-hmm. I did not like him as really? much as I wanted to. I didn't really like him at all. Like, I thought he had some moments, like the bird thing bird. was funny. Um, but for the most part, I didn't see a real purpose to him. Like, half the time he was sitting out, like he was in the van while they're on the club. He was in the aquarium part of Jotunheim or something like that when everyone else was planning things like to me it just felt i don't know like he definitely could have not been in the film and nothing would have changed other than a few of the jokes here and there and i would want him in it because i like those jokes and i think they add to again the humor of the film but 
it just wasn't enough. Like, I don't think he had the best jokes. I don't think he had the best moments. And he wasn't as essential to the story itself. So for me, he was kind of lackluster, which was sad. As for Ratcatcher 2, I don't know if it's well documented on the show yet, but I think we talked about before. We the have rats in media, in movies, for whatever reason. I just don't like them. It immediately turns me off. Yeah. Um, Ryan hates Ratatouille. That's not true. But it is funny because I think partially, because everyone always will have that in their like, top five. That's maybe, I don't even know if at this point it's in the top 10 of Pixar films. And it's probably in large part due to the presence of rats in that film. I just don't know why, but I hate <laughs> looking at rats on film. Like it just, and there's so many of them. I don't know why there's so man, you suck. like this love of rats and portraying stories with rats as the, the main characters. Yeah, for real. I liked so, how they had like a it was a real rat on set because I went, I found a video online and it was from on set and Danielle and Melchior had her birthday while they were on set and they brought her out cakes and stuff and she was still holding the little rat Sebastian the little best <laughs> and it was so cute how can you not love that little rat waving all the time and bringing little leaves sure. I mean I'm sure he's okay and it's also like in person I don't think I have a problem with rats compared to anyone else like it's not like I'm even more disgusted or anything like that if we were to see a rat in person but for whatever reason, man, I just don't like seeing rats on film. It just annoys me. It didn't, it wasn't too bad in this film. Um, like Sebastian, he had a little vest. I mean, he was cute. But that did also probably make me not as invested in Ratcatcher 2's character. Um, I also, since you bring up that she was sort of the heart and emotional through line of the film, I agree with that was the case. And that was what they were trying to go for. For me, my biggest criticism of this film is that every moment that they tried to make emotional, I just don't think it landed for me. Yeah, it's not flawless. Like, it's not as good emotionally as Guardians of the Galaxy or right. even Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And I feel like James Gunn probably could have spent a lot more time on creating better emotional moments. But I think compared to a lot of other superhero movies and a lot of DC movies specifically, I am more satisfied with the emotional element in this movie. Right. Yeah. I don't know if I agree. Cause it just, I remember in that van when Bloodsport is talking with Ratcatcher too, mm -hmm. it felt like such a by the numbers, like here's the moment where we insert. Yeah, no, it definitely did. Emotional backstory to these characters. And you see that they make a connection. And then he flat out says, you remind me of my daughter. And then now we know that sets up later on when Peacemaker is about to shoot her in the head. He's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, I got to save her because it reminds she reminds me of my daughter. I was like, it just felt like that one in particular was too blatant. But then also, even if that wasn't in there, I don't think the like exchange of stories that they had was enough for me to care. So for whatever reason in this film, the emotional support that they were trying to give to it uh was by far the weakest uh element of the film mm. all the other i mean a lot of the humor a lot of the action all that stuff was really good as you said i mean in some of the best most creative stuff we've seen in a yeah. comic book movie as of late uh, but that that emotional element to it which i think is that certainly a necessary ingredient if it's to become one of the like really mm. all-time greats for me i don't 
think it was there. And then I also don't think it had any necessarily profound themes attached to it, no. which also for me is one of those things that, I mean, if it's going to become like a truly great thing, it needs to have that. Um, and we know comic book movies are capable of incorporating that, but this one mm. I don't think did. The effort, like the biggest effort they made at trying to do something like that was with this Peacemaker and Rick Flag situation where we find out the whole Starro program experimentation that was being conducted by the U.S. government, mm -hmm. um, or at least we were aware of it, the U.S. government. And so he, Rick Flagg, tries to take some of the records in order to release it to the people. And then Peacemaker tries to stop him because secretly he was given a special task by Amanda Waller to make sure that the records are destroyed. Um, like that was the true reason they're all there, but then Peacemaker was given that insight and was tasked with making sure that it did actually get destroyed. And of course that's there to like incorporate some more conflict and have this betrayal element to it mm -hmm. to spice things up. And for me, I just don't like, when you think about it too much, I just don't know why, like would Rick flag really care that much, like to that extent. Yeah. After, Again, we just, first of all, he's already been a part of the Suicide Squad mission. So I imagine he's done a lot worse or at least seen and heard of a lot worse by working with these villains and whatever secret task force missions that they do. Like that's the whole point of it being Suicide Squad. It's supposed to be off the book stuff. So I imagine they've also done uh, terrible things as a task force. But then also earlier in this movie, I mean, his people, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, all those guys, killed the freedom fighters, innocent people that are working actively against the oppressive government of Corto Maltese. Mm -hmm. And they're not going to offer any consequences for that. Like they said, oh, well, now let's continue on with our mission. I mean, that's another despicable thing that he puts under the rug and then actively allows to happen or at least allows to go unpunished. I just didn't see why he all of a sudden would be so righteous about making sure that this information got out there. And then similarly, I don't know why Ratcatcher 2, I mean, I know because, again, she was supposed to be the heart of the film. Um, so she did have that a lot more of that sympathy than the other characters. Like, that's why she was sort of a foil to Idris Elba's character. But what exactly do we know? Did we ever know what Ratcatcher 2 did to get into prison? No. Oh, wait, she does say it. I can't remember. She... She robbed a bank and they deemed that the rats were weapons. So she was convicted of armed robbery, even oh. though there's rats. And so they <laughs> put her in prison. She does say that, yes. WMD rats. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay, the one, not her, but other people, like these other villains that are imprisoned here, I'm sure have also done terrible, terrible things. And so for most of the rest of them, I don't know why it would make sense for them to take a stand on, again, this part of it and like, try to make sure that, oh, we get these records so that we can speak the truth. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like a strange thing to include um, and then to just reframe one of the characters, like pit them against each other. And then we have that Peacemaker versus Rick Flag fight, which I thought was very effective when cool he fight. puts the like toilet bowl charred thing into Rick Flag's chest and you see the mm -hmm. bloodied face of John Cena like looking and realizing what he did. Mm -hmm. Like that was some solid acting from that man. Yeah. 
Uh, and so I think it was good. I mean, it was interesting. It spiced things up. I think it was definitely undercut by them having a post-credit scene where Peacemaker doesn't die. Yeah. So now it's like, well, what was the point of any of that? Rick Flag well, literally think... dies. The records don't get out because yeah. Idris Elba uses them as leverage to I know. free That's all those funny. people. And then, and again, that goes to the point of, well, so they all just killed these like various innocent people on the island and now they're getting to run free. Yeah. Um, so it's like a weird clash of these morals there. Um but then also, Peacemaker didn't even die. So, like, what was it all for? My, no assumption, they wanted. my assumption is that James Gunn wrote the script and Peacemaker dies in it. And then in during production, he gets greenlit to make a Peacemaker show. And so he creates this after credit scene where he brings him back. And, I mean, it does undercut that drama a lot. And I the whole plot point of the records getting out is kind of silly and stupid. In hindsight, of course, uh, I, it's not. it was my least favorite part. The thing we were joking about was like Rick Flag is arguing about how they were doing experiments. He's like, they're doing experiments on kids. And we're like, okay, kids is where the Suicide Squad draws the line. <laughs> That's because right? it was like the third time they had been like, guys, it's kids. It was like the third time they had done that. Oh, yeah. Harley Quinn said that earlier. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah. She's like, That's a red flag. Kids. That's a red flag. So yeah. apparently, I guess, yeah, this for is, them, that kids was a running is where good joke is. is like, kids is the line, I guess. I think that was a funny bit too. I forgot about that where she just shoots him point blank in the middle of his speech. It was a little <laughs> bit expected and I kind of figured she would kill him, but it was still funny. Like like the bit of him just in the middle of a speech and then it just cuts to her shooting him. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, me too. I thought it was good. Um, yeah, so for me, the favorite characters I think would have to be Polka Dot Man was just hilarious. The way that uh, he took that stupid, silly idea and then gave actual depth to him. I mean, some of the best moments in that film, I think, were from Polka Dot Man. Um, and then after that, I loved Harley Quinn's role in this. Like, she wasn't center mm-hmm. stage, but she was, yeah. and she was off from the rest of the characters for a lot of the time, but she was still pretty integral. She was doing her own thing and still her had whole part, that. Her whole part was just trying to figure out what the javelin was for. I know. <laughs> that carried on for so much longer than I thought it would be. It, it carried all the way to the end of the movie. I was very surprised yeah. that the javelin made it all the way to the end. <laughs> um but that was also cool when she spears it through the eye of starro mm-hmm. and then she's just floating in there the um, rats in the eye juice yeah with the rats that was really cool, was cool and scene. then i think third would probably be peacemaker obviously because i'm partial to john cena but then mm-hmm. also i mean the commitment that he gives to that character which we see in him he's doing some the press the tours where he has lines yeah, where he will wear the costume and whatnot. I mean, he mm-hmm. fully gave himself over to the role, um, and that makes it really fun and interesting to watch. So um, I really like them. I also loved Idris Elba in this film. Like, the man makes it just so easy. Like, anything he does is so easy and compelling. Um, mm-hmm. So he was really solid in this, um, essentially as the replacement for Will Smith's um what was it, Deadshot? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's funny what they did with his character too, because Deadshot, the whole arc was like Deadshot has a daughter and he's trying to be the best dad that he can be. And this one, Bloodshot, is uh, essentially the ripoff of Deadshot in this version. And he's has his daughter, but they they like hate each other and like he just yells at her all the time, like fuck you, yeah. fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. So uh, before with- we go. Wait, real quick. Top 
Let's do two just to save time. Top two funny. What are your two favorite funniest moments in this movie? Because for me, the humor was a big reason why I liked it. It was really funny. So I think the that running gag of the polka dot man's mom, I think is hilarious. Like seeing the star overs <laughs> and that actress was going in when she did the like three punches back to back on that mm-hmm. building. Her face in there was pretty funny. Um, so that one was good. I thought the, <laughs> it was just a random, like almost throwaway line where Ratcatcher two says to the brainiac lookalike, I forget what his name is, but the dude with this bald head and the thing. Yeah. The thinker. Um, and she goes, she's like threatening him to comply. And she's like, do this or do you want Brad's to go inside your anus or something like that? Like something vulgar and insane like that. Uh, and she's like, do you really want that? And he's like, my answer might be unexpected to you or something like that. <laughs> Where he was like, he's like, I don't know if some rats wanted to <laughs> nibble. I was like, oh, what? It was so quick. <laughs> but that one made me die laughing. That one was hilarious. Um, let me see. You give yours, and I'll see if I can think of any any other uh, hilarious one. I think my top one is definitely Weasel dying right in the beginning. <laughs> it's just such a it's fantastic so way to lead that in. He goes, he's dead. And he's just, <laughs> and he's just like, did anyone bother to check to see if Weasel could swim? And they're just standing in the control, and Weasel is just drowning on the screen, and they're just like looking at each other. It's so funny. Um, my second funniest moment is probably the Milton one. Well, my, I think my favorite throwaway line is when they're in the prison and Bloodsport is just like walking around with Viola Davis, and Sean Gunn shows up as counterman. He goes, "Hey, Bloodsport, you're a pussy." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was good. Did you think of any other funny ones? Um, again, other. The Milton one would also have to be the Milton like the one, payoff yeah. of that, just because like in our viewing party, Sean especially was just building that up so much of like how is Milton still here? And we when did they the finally exact addressed same thing it, we were watching it, yeah, the fact that they addressed it and spent genuinely a minute and a half on just going down that road, uh, the absurdity of it was just so good. I think they purposely cut him out from the trailer, but when you look at the sequence where they're walking through the rain, it's all dramatic. He's on the He's end there, walking yeah. with them. And I remember seeing him thinking, why the fuck is he still there? What is, he, what is his contribution? So good. Also, it was hilarious when Starro screamed, and then it did the like zoom in on the people that had the starfish faces, and mm-hmm. they just had their mouths open. They're also screaming. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> things like that, just little yeah. things like that were just hilarious. This movie had a lot of good laughs. I really liked it. a lot of good lines, a lot of good uh, delivery of lines. I was laughing a lot throughout this movie, so I was definitely pleasantly surprised with the humor. Exactly. So, how many weasels, <laughs> weasel deaths, and weasel resurrections out of five would you give the Suicide Squad? First off, I can't believe they brought him back. Like, what? What is his contribution now? Now that Weasel is alive, what? he's just gonna go terrorize the island. He's gonna eat more children. children. <laughs> I just can't believe. Uh, I'm gonna give it four out of five Weasels. I had a good time, even though like a lot of the plot points didn't hit properly. Like, it wasn't as solidly written in terms of story as like Guardians of the Galaxy and Guardians of the Galaxy Two were. I think. The action, the humor, the characters, and the performances were enough to get me through some poorly written story points. And overall, it was still 
better written than I would say at least the majority of some of these superhero movies coming out. So I think I was engaged enough to say four out of five. Gotcha. I will give the same exact score. Four out of five. Copycat. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, for all the reasons you described, again, for me, the biggest drawbacks were the lack of actual emotional weight. Mm -hmm. um, And then then again, the lack of any true thematic purpose to some of the elements that they had in there. But the characters, as you said, the humor, the performances, it was all really engaging, really fun. It's just an enjoyable experience, especially when you're doing a a viewing party with friends on HBO Max. So that is definitely a film you should go check out. If you do have HBO Max, see it there. Invite some people over. No, no, go to the theaters. Go to the theaters no, 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 to no, see no. the Suicide Squad. Give me, give me some money. What I you need to should win this do competition. is go see Jungle Cruise in theaters because that, it's an action-adventure. You want to have the whole experience of the big screen. You can't go for the Jungle Cruise. You could catch the, the Delta rock. variant. You should pay the $30 premiere access and watch it on Disney+. Plus. It's safer that way. You should pay the twelve, the twelve ninety nine or something like that for HBO Max, and then you get it for free. You don't even need premiere access for the Suicide Squad. Go yeah, but that. imagine that amazing action in Dolby Surround Sound. Pay extra to go to the Dolby Surround Sound to watch the Suicide Squad. I'll be honest, Dylan, partially, <laughs> the reason, like, that night we watched it, it was the day it came out, mm-hmm. I think, or maybe that, like, Thursday night. It was also, I think, too late. It would have been too late to go see it in theaters. Yeah. But I was really pushing for us to go home and <laughs> watch it on HBO Max so that I would avoid giving you some extra you bastard. How dare you? I was like, guys, let's just go home and watch it. We'll be able to get some snacks and just chill yeah, out and laugh while we do. The extra forty bucks that <laughs> I could have garnered from that—wow, big whoop! It had to be done. You gotta, you gotta play dirty sometimes. Sometimes. Anyway, <laughs> that is all the time we have. If you'd like to give your thoughts on the show or make a suggestion for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail Our main title theme for the show is "Sundown" by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week. Our episodes are coming out on Fridays now. Have a great rest of your day.